feeling great. I'm ready to go to war right now. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, brought to you by Cracked Rackets. My name's Alex Gruskin. Joining me on this podcast, as always, my doubles partner, partner in crime, and the future slot threat from the University of Michigan football team, Max Rothman. Hey, great shot. Hey, Alex. Thanks for that uh, new little twist to the intro. If uh, you guys don't know what he's referring to, this past weekend I played uh, in the the annual Mud Bowl football game, it's, uh, it's a little charity football game uh, between one fraternity and SAE uh, in this big muddy Sick, pit. Yeah, it's really <laughs> frat, bro. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a fun game. It's not necessarily football. It's a little it's a charity game. It's a charity game. But it's a little MMA <laughs> wrestling. Uh, there's some there's some dirty dirty playing in there, but uh, definitely definitely a fun time. No, for sure. But uh, how are you feeling now after that? I'm feeling great. I'm ready to go to war right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's as good of a transition as any to start this week's podcast. Definitely not feeling good, though. No, I'm, I'm hurting in all seriousness. Oh, your ankle looks brutal. My uh, my former roommate, Michael Azapardi, actually fractured his fibula and tibula when he uh, hurt his ankle earlier this year, and I don't think it was as blue as yours is. Yeah, no, my, mine is is not pretty. <laughs> yeah. I, I can put this uh, put a little picture on the website for y'all to see. Oh. It's, it's a site. <laughs> An Instagram lover. Oh, yeah. Um, but you know what is pretty? The game of the person we're talking about this week. Of course, we're continuing our Next Gen American series this week. That, of course, is our series previewing the young American male prospects we think can someday bring American men's tennis back to glory. If you've been following along, you'll know this is our third podcast in the series. Our past two episodes, we've discussed Noah Rubin and Ernesto Escobedo's games. This week, we're going to be talking about actually the fourth oldest member of our Next Gen series. Unfortunately, we didn't include Chris Eubanks because he was initially going to college when he decided to turn pro, we decided it was appropriate to include him in this exercise. So this week, skipping order a little bit, we're going to go with another one of October's very own. We're going to go with Jared Donaldson. Jared Donaldson is 21 years old. He's a product of Providence, Rhode Island. What you may not know about him, he's 6'2", 165 pounds. God, that is light. I, I, am, I literally have... 50 pounds and well okay 40 pounds in this oh, kid don't but. be ridiculous also if you've seen him recently i don't know if he's still 165 yeah 165 That's his official I, like if you took 40 pounds off me i would first of all you're not 6'2 i'm 6'2 you're I am shorter six than two. me no you're not you're i really went to me. a doctor two weeks ago okay well they were inflating your growth were you wearing shoes no <laughs> don't Dude, you're not right six now. Two. if i'm 6'2 you're six you're taller and than 6'2 you're 6'2 and, six two and a quarter six two. my posture is atrocious Alex, go f*** yourself. (laughs) But moving on, so Jared Donaldson, he goes by the nickname of JD. One of his mistakes in his childhood, he used to have an earring. If you've heard Jared Donaldson interview before, and he really is a fun interview, but of course, given Max's impersonation, you know that he has quite the thick East Coast accent. He actually is quite the video game player and might even be better than his tennis skills. And that brings me to my first tangent of this episode, I've consistently said tennis is the most unintentionally comedic sport in the world, and I have seen quite a few interviews of Jared Donaldson in the lead-up to this podcast. My first question to you, Max Rothman, how big of a nerd is he? (laughs) I mean, we both watched the same interview of him showing 
around his house in Irvine. So a little more context for the video. This was a 2015 behind-the-scenes YouTube video with the ATP showing them around his Irvine, California house. Yeah, he basically takes us around the three places that he spends <laughs> all of his time, his living room, his computer, and his bedroom. And first of all, he says he can't watch TV on anything but a 96-inch TV, which makes zero sense. But props to him for having a 96-inch TV I mean, it's, it is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. But he said, he then brings us over to his computer. He says it's like his most prized possession or something. I mean, geez, man, get a life. Like, just, <laughs> You'd be better if you just broke the damn thing. Seriously, like, if he loses the computer, he's a top 25 pro. Yeah, right? 100%. Comparable to Zverev. So, so Jared, <laughs> break it. Please. <laughs> <laughs> What's the higher ranking? His ATP ranking or his World of Warcraft online Oh, ranking? World of Warcraft for sure. <laughs> Kid, he literally says that he finishes his meal as quick as he can so he can get onto the computer. I mean, Yeah, but he's done by 11 o'clock at the latest. You think he does anything else on that computer? <laughs> <laughs> Pulls the Del Potro. Okay, but then also, <laughs> b- before we, we move away from his house, he sleeps in a tent. Like... A legitimate, he has a legitimate tent over his bed so that he can pressurize it to feel like he's at 10,000 feet or something. I mean, it's like autoerotic asphyxiation. Yeah, he, he probably has some great moments in there. <laughs> but God, he's, I don't know, man. I guess something's working. And if that's what it is, gr- good for him. But, well, according to Parsa, he does have an on and off girlfriend. So I don't know if we need somehow. To <laughs> But let's move on to his tennis game, something he can definitely be proud of. You want to break down his game? Yeah, so um, for those of you who've seen Donaldson play, uh, you know he's an aggressive baseliner, a lot of power on those ground strokes, really solid forehand and backhand, um, definitely uses forehand to move players around the court, and uh, if you've seen him play really well, he's really good at taking that backhand down the line. Um, He's not necessarily the most consistent player out there, but uh, he's getting better, and and there's been some critique of his movement uh, also improving. Um, Definitely his his weakness is his hands. uh, The slice and and volleys have uh, shown a little bit of weakness, but, um, you know, he's he's definitely improving in in all aspects of his game. I completely agree. Again, as the self-proclaimed Cracked Rackets tennis historian, I'd like to start with the moment I became aware of his presence. The 2013 Kalamazoo tournament, actually, I was able to attend because um, our very own Max Fliegner was in the draw. He actually got bucks bombed, which I'll let you explain when he's next on, but that meant a first-round loss. But being at that event, who was I fortunate enough to see? Jared Donaldson. And if you guys don't know about the 2013 Kalamazoo, that year Colin Altamirano became the first unseeded player in Kalamazoo history to win the tournament. The player he beat in the final, 14 seed Jared Donaldson. And so Jared Donaldson, at that point, all we knew of him was he was a former, you know, top-ranked American junior. He was a player who actually decided to go abroad for his training. He decided to spend two years in Argentina to, you know, train on the outdoor clay, which, given that the new USTA headquarters wasn't built yet, was something that wasn't really available to him, at least in his mind, in the United States. I want to ask you... Let's get into that right away. What do you think of his decision to go abroad? I think it is what has changed his ability to be a professional player. Hot take. (laughs) No, it is. And and it's something that, you know, it's not the most, you know, 
new um, sentiment out there, but people have said that one of the struggles of American tennis is that kids don't grow up playing on clay courts. And I think it's totally true. You you learn a new um, aspect of the game when you're able to construct points, stay in points longer when the game's a little bit slower. And I think being able to take his game to Argentina, play on some clay, really get good on that surface, I think that's something that has benefited his game. I think you can look at the way he is as an aggressive player, but without that consistency, which he's working on, you're not going to be able to have a complete game. I really think it's helped him a lot. I think his game is an interesting testament to the idea of training both indoors and outdoors. I think you can actually see how training indoors in Rhode Island during those winters, he has a flatter backhand down the line. He has the ability to redirect the forehand as well and go flat down the line. At the same time, the way he targets the inside-out forehand, the way he really whips the forehand to create topspin, I agree you see a nice blend of aggressive indoor style, the type you're forced to play when the courts are faster and you know indoor movement is a lot different than outdoor movement, obviously. It's interesting. He has a very nice blend, and I think that's reflected in his, you know, as at this point in his game, he doesn't really have an identifiable weakness outside of some of his physical characteristics, which I know we'll get into as we go along with this podcast. Yeah, so I mean, bottom line, I think he really did make the right decision not going to college, and I mean, if his ranking right now and and how he's playing is any... A uh, testament to that. I mean, it's, it seems like he made the right decision. You know, shameless plug here, but I, of course we've been writing about these players on CrackedRackets.com as well. Well, you got to silence that phone, Maxi. <laughs> That's my bad. I'm popular. Sorry. <laughs> if you look on CrackedRackets.com, of course we've been writing about these players, and in my answer to the question of should this player have gone to college, I actually equated his experience in Argentina as a semester abroad. Actually, <laughs> it was two years abroad, and I think the ability as a young player, you know, the common criticism, and I will, ref- I could spend, you know, the rest of this podcast refuting this criticism, that these young players are entitled, that, the, that somehow the USTA empowered them to think that they were God's gift no matter what, because they were receiving the USTA resources. I think that's completely untrue. But the fact that he was in Argentina, the fact that he had to immerse himself in a culture that he was not comfortable in, the fact that he had to treat himself like a professional as though this was not, you know, this was a means to an end. And I think that's a really beneficial experience. I think that's why, you know, before he was 19, I have to silence my phone, but before he was 19 years old, he had already won four titles, and those are actually his only four professional titles. I think there's a reason, you know, he made that Kalamazoo final, and as an 18-year-old, he was the number one seed in that loaded 2014 field. You know, he beat all of these great players. He beat Noah Rubin, our very own next-gen player, in the semifinals of that 2013 Kalamazoo tournament. And I think he had the requisite match experience to say, I'm ready to be a professional. And I think even more important is the amount of empanadas he probably had to eat <laughs> while he was in Argentina. Probably I mean, delicious. Oh, That's why he's one of our skinny, fat players. Seriously, <laughs> there is no green in any of those meals in Argentina. I actually went a couple years ago, and all you do is eat meat. I mean, maybe that's where he got some some strength in those ground strokes, but damn, they they do not eat any vegetables. Over there. 
Well, that's a generalization that I'll leave aside, but <laughs> I think Juan Martin Del Potro, Leo Messi, the multitude of Argentinian <laughs> athletes that have come out successfully, including Jared Donaldson, who's, you know, live ranking of 53. He's had a really excellent, you know, second half to this year, doing well at Wimbledon, doing well at the U.S. Open, round of 16 at the City Open and in Montreal, quarterfinals, his first Masters quarterfinal in Cincinnati. Uh, this is a guy who, again, beat another next-gen player, Stefano Tsitsipas, as well as beating Kyle Edmund at Chengdu this fall. I really think Jared Donaldson has had excellent results, and again, he's only 21 years old. I would say of these players, and we'll get into the power rankings a little later, in terms of floors, he's got the highest floor. If this is as good as he gets, he's already a very good player. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And so from there, let's go into a little bit more depth about his game. Tell me your favorite part of his game. I've got to say it's his forehand. He he really rips the ball. And, you know, I think it's something that he can continue to improve on. I think he already does like to control the court with his forehand, but there are times where uh, there's short balls where I, I really think he could attack. And um, he's got the power on that forehand to take control of pretty much any player he's up against. Do you consider his forehand to have heavy topspin? Because I've gone back and forth on this. Because he can, again, I said this earlier, he can really hit the flat down the line off of both wings. And I have to say, in general, his backhand, again, an excellent ground stroke. I think he's really solid off of both sides in terms of consistency and in terms of generating power on each ground stroke. But the backhand, he struggles to produce any angle. And I think, again, that's a product of playing indoors. When you play indoors, it's more about pace and less about, you know, uh, shot creativity, about making angles for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think his forehand has some heavy spin to it, but I think the the reason it's so uh, effective is because he hits it a little bit flatter than some of the other guys and he hits through the ball. Absolutely. and, you know, it's funny, we, we talk about how going to Argentina and playing on the clay court, you you want to develop the game a little bit. And I guess that is the one aspect of his game that maybe he needed a little more time on the clay to get out there with that backhand and learn to roll over it a little more. I mean, he has almost no spin on that backhand. And it, it will hurt him a little bit if he can't learn to get a little more angle on it because he's able to rip that down the line. And if he could throw in a short little, you know, topspin angle cross court that would really help his game it would open up the court for him for absolutely sure. and we watched a couple highlights again i mentioned the tsitsi pass highlights i mentioned that you know we watched him beat kyle edmund and chang do as well there's actually a match i want to reference from earlier this year in brisbane when he played k nishikori we actually watched these highlights right before starting this podcast that's a match nishikori won four six six four six three but for you listeners in case you didn't get to see that match or you don't know anything about it nishikori was up four one in the first set and donaldson actually roared back again to take that first set six four we really saw him step up take returns aggressively i just what did you think about that match because the difference between Pass and nishikori is the difference between being a top 100 threat as a junior and making that zverev like jump into the top 10 yeah i mean when i was watching that first set I mean, once he actually started playing well, I was saying to myself, this is a potential top 20 player. I mean, he took the ball early, took control of the court. I mean, he had Nishikori on the run. I mean, he did everything he was supposed to do. And if he could, you know, become more consistent in that manner, being aggressive, taking the ball early and, and making sure that he has control of the point, I think he can be really successful. 
I, I agree with you. His pace is excellent. The way he constructs points, again, I think that's a product of him playing on that clay in Argentina, is excellent. One thing he struggles with, and this is a good transition to our least favorite part of the game, you said, and I'm happy you made this point, he had Nishikori on the run. When a player's on the run, what are you taught to do? Well, you come forward. Exactly, and I think the issue with Donaldson's game, and this is a problem with his slice as well, you know, he can't really dip the ball low and force a, you know, an at-the-knees pass. It's just really hard for him to volley. It's really hard for him to make that transition volley, not necessarily when he's on top of the net, because I think he's skilled enough to do that, but that transition volley of closing and making that second volley or that second passing shot a really tough shot, I think he struggles to do that. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. I think as far as my least favorite part of his game, it it would have to be kind of his inability to change the pace. And I think that comes with a slice. I mean, he, we were talking about this earlier, he, if he's able to get to the ball, he's going to hit a ground stroke. He's going to try and rip it. And that's just something where, you know. It's admirable. It, it is, it is admirable, but at the same time, it's a little stupid. I mean, you got to give yourself time to get back into points. And if he wants to compete with guys who are going to put him on the run a lot, like Nadal and Federer, I mean, he's going to have to learn to change it up, give himself a little more time to get back into a point. So this is an interesting, more nuanced tennis question, more about shot selection as opposed to Donaldson's game. But in terms of adding a shot when you're on the run, my our coach used to always say a high loop shot down the line, you know, with heavy tops and a little more uh, clearance of the net would allow you to buy more time while also cutting off the options of your opponent versus dipping a slice back cross court, you know, slowing down the pace and buying yourself time to recover, but also at the same time leaving yourself a little bit more vulnerable, in my opinion. Which shot do you prefer? Would you go with the heavy, you know, when you're on the run, do you go for a high topspin shot to buy yourself time or are you more of a slicer? You know, I I wish we had Fliegner here as well because I would love to hear his take. Yeah, I mean, it definitely... I think it also depends who you play. It's true. Um, But I'm more of a slicer. I I like, you know, keeping it low and cutting it. And I also think there's... Of course you are. Meanwhile, I'm a top spin player. That's why we work so well. It is. It's perfect. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, I don't know. I think there's uh, something to the slice that one can also cause some issues for another player. I mean, if you keep it low, get a little shank out of them every once in a while or something. Whereas when you're putting it up, you're you're really just giving them a, a free next shot. Uh, but sometimes you need that. So, I, I mean, me personally, I'm, I'm always aggressive and I like to go for slices. It's fair. But, it's fair. It's uh, fair. I, think, I, I think the margin of error is a little larger on the top. It, it is. Shot, and, of course, that, again, reflective of our differing game styles. But I think they're both legitimate options. I don't think Donaldson does either, you know, to bring the conversation back to him. I think he doesn't. Another thing, I talked about this a little bit with Escobedo, improvising on the run as well as getting to the net. I think that's two things you gain with experience, of course, but it's two things they really need to work on. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And uh, before we praise Donaldson's projections for the future, we're going to praise our fake advertisers right now. (laughs) And now, a new fake ad from our favorite meal sponsor, Panera. Panera Bread. Panera Bread. It's better than Subway. It definitely isn't, but I really do like their smoothies. Hey, do you want Jared's footlong or a mischievous footlong? I don't want any footlong. Then go to Panera. Panera, the place where you can eat a happy, healthy, hearty meal. <laughs> I think Jared was happy, healthy, and hearty. Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. I really don't know what that, that one was. was a weak that one. was bad. You're better than that. How about this? Hey, great shot. 
Nah. Little Family Guy action there? <laughs> I was at Peter. Yeah. That's funny. All right. <laughs> so with that, we'll get into the power rankings portion of the podcast. Um, each podcast, we rank these next-gen players both on where their games are at now and where we see their potentials being. So we'll start with you, Max. Where do you have Donaldson ranked now? <laughs> so um, I've got... <laughs> <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because I know... Y- because I know you're just going to be annoyed with my response. Well, I think I'm going to agree with you at first and then disagree. That's my prediction. Yeah, it's, you're not wrong. Um, <laughs> so I have him right now as number one on my list. I think, you know, he's shown to have some of the better results amongst these, amongst these guys. Amongst. Hey, amongst. great job. I never call you out. How <laughs> you should. I know. I'm just too nice. Um... <laughs> But yeah, so I, I think he's had some of the better results, and I think he has shown that he can keep up with some of the top guys, so that's, that's why I've got him at number one uh, currently. I also happen to have him no at number way. one. On, over Fritz. Yes, over Fritz. Over Escovedo. Uh, over all of them. <laughs> wow. Just watching his game, he, he really does have a complete game. I think if he can work on some of the smaller things we've talked about, you know, his his slice, being able to hit on the run and get back into points, maybe control the ball a little bit better and step in, come to the net, I think he's got the complete package. I So we actually talked about this earlier, and I really think that he could... Okay, you know what? Actually, never mind. I'm going yeah. to save this for We're gonna later. Get to we'll get there. So um, real yeah. quick... Well, not real quick, actually. I'm going to defend myself. So my current ability rankings... I have Donaldson number one as well. I know we shouldn't agree, but name me a metric where Why can't another we agree? one. Of... We're doubles partners. <laughs> That's true. There's not a single metric you can show me that proves someone had a better year than Donaldson of these eleven guys. Hundred percent. He, you know, he has been a top fifty player, even if it was number fifty. He's at number fifty three right now. Of all the Americans, he's the only player to qualify for these next-gen finals. He made the quarterfinals of a Masters. He's made the third round of a Major. He is a top 64 player on tour, for sure. And whether he can break into that top 25 range, top 10 range, really depends on two things for me. And this is why, on future ability, I have him ranked 6th. 6th? I know that's low. And to be honest, reviewing my notes, I'm a little surprised I had him this low. But as I'm thinking, (laughs) I can, you know, remember why I did this. Yeah, he's not actually 6th. No, the reason I have Donaldson 6th is I'm concerned about two things that are very important. One, his first serve percentage. If you look, you know, all of his big matches this year, and I've looked through the statistics, he's averaged about 47, 48% on his first serve percentage. And that is not an elite level. That's not going to cut it. One of the reasons he lost that Nishikori match, he didn't put in enough first serves. And when Donaldson gets behind in the point, it exposes his poor movement. It exposes his lack of an explosive first step. It forces him to improvise as opposed to allowing him to dictate his game plan. And I think that's an issue, especially against these top 10 guys. Look at how good of an athlete Zverev is. Look at how good of an athlete team is. You're telling me he's ever going to be able to compete with guys like that? Yeah, but I think that's more of a testament to his, you know, lack of experience on tour. I mean, I don't think he doesn't have a bad serve. You can't say he has a bad serve, but you know, the percentage is one of those things where, you know, you get used to playing in pro tournaments, get a little more comfortable out there and and have a little more confidence in it. Well, look, this is where and we were debating this before the show. I say I have 15% more tennis knowledge than you. 
Donaldson dating back to his days in the cha- on the Challenger circuit. You know, Mike C. Tennis and the USDA team does an excellent job doing the live broadcasting of those. He has always stressed, and, you know, they show the percentages. He was around 42% a couple years ago. And so, you know, for him to make the jump to 48%, yes, it's indicative of progress. It's also indicative that this is a constant struggle for him, that the first serve percentage is never going to be something he can rely on. And when you're someone who relies on playing a serve plus one type of game, you know, for, for listeners who aren't aware, the serve plus one is the serve plus an aggressive forehand or an aggressive first ball that allows you to hit a winner win the point quickly. I think Donaldson's going to need a lot of those to be successful. And if he's not making first serves, when is he going to have those opportunities? Yeah, I mean, I, I hear you as that being a weakness. But, you know, if you can see an upward trend of 7% in just a year or two, I mean, give him another couple years and he's it's up true. there in the high 50s, low 60s, and then you're, then you're where you but want. But why I have him sixth on future ability is not because I think he's going to be bad. I just think the serve plus ones plus the other skills of a lot of these other next-gen players are going to be even better. So let me, let's just do a little debate now. We'll obviously save this for later on. But Riley Opelka. Riley Opelka has <laughs> the potential to have a deadly serve plus one when his serves coming in at one no his serve is not as good as it will be his serve is not as good as an isner's or a karlovich's and when he reaches that point i think he moves better than both of those guys i think his ground stroke fundamentals are better than both of those guys i think he can have a lethal serve plus one combination yeah but that's just where we'll never agree because (laughs) i'm sorry no one who is over six foot ten is going to be a top ten player in the world i fundamentally disagree how are how are you okay. gonna have him compete against Ivanisevic, guys with Goran Ivanisevic, the Croatian? Yeah, six seven. He won one. Juan Martin six, Del Potro, seven. six six. One, I'm one. talking six ten plus. Look, it's possible. There's a Opelka, difference. That's a big like, difference. I don't think anyone who's seven feet likes to be told they're seven feet. I think Opelka's a true seven footer, and yeah, you're right. Is. But he moves so much better than an Isner. He moves outstandingly, and his ground stroke fundamentals are sound. Yeah, the forehand's a little, it's a little bigger of a backswing than I would like, but his backhand for someone his size, I think he does really well with it. I just think those are the kind of guys that rely on big shots all the time, and I just, I will never be comfortable with someone going out there relying on a big serve and forehand, and that's it. He, You have to have more than that, and I know you think he moves better, I know you think that's going to allow him to stay in points, but not enough to the point where he's going to be able to compete with the top guys. I'm sorry. I very much disagree. I just think when you play the type of aggressive tennis Opelka does, no matter who you're playing, it's going to be a match on your terms. And I think he's shown the ability to play that level. Another player I want to do, and we're going to make this a little more personal so that you feel even more invested in this argument, Taylor Fritz. I have Taylor Fritz above Jared Donaldson. I'm not going to say where. We'll leave that as a little surprise for our viewers. But I am going to say I have him above him. The reason I do so is... I see them as similar types of movers. Both are a little athletically limited, don't have the best of first steps, but are very aware on the court and play a game style that allows them to dictate and allows them to control points. I happen to think Fritz is a more creative, more consistent player. And I just want to know, you obviously disagree in your rankings. Tell me why. With the Fritz first, sorry, one point I'd like to include. The Fritz serve as well. Fritz is tremendous on the serve, particularly on break points. Tell me why you think Donaldson's better. Yeah, I'll agree that the Fritz serve is better, but I I won't agree about their movement. There is a distinguishable difference between the way that Donaldson is able to explode 
on that first step after hitting. And that is a testament to his technique on his ball. I, I was um, looking over the way that he hits every forehand and backhand. And, and it's something that my coach liked to instill in me. And if you watch his forehand, he does this thing when he goes out wide for balls, he really loads on that right leg, which is so important. And it's something that I always try and tell you, Alex, to do because you don't do enough of this. I just you- wish the the listeners could see that you are actually loading on your leg right now. Yeah, though, to show me a demonstration. It's literally a, a habit. Like you, <laughs> you just got to get down on that right leg, bend that knee, get some explosion out of it. Uh, but he does the same thing on his backhand, and and you see Fritz. He does this thing where he he runs through the ball a little He's bit. He's just on so the, long, yeah. yeah and so and I, a little bit, yeah. And so I don't think you can compare their movement. I think there's a distinguishable difference between them, and and that's what separates them in their potential for the future. So while I'll say that I see the difference in their movement being given Fritz length, it's okay for him to be a little sloppy with his footwork because his length covers that up. With Donaldson, that's not the case. And look. Donaldson is incredibly disciplined with his footwork. Again, that's a testament to his training in Argentina. He moves as though he's always on clay. That being said, I just don't see... He's very explosive. Is he the type of player who can win a slam someday? I'm really not sure because I don't know for three out of five sets he can dictate you know, long enough to hold off his opponent. Well, look, I know we're doing this next-gen series, and, and these are supposed to be the guys that we have the most faith in at the moment. And, I, and unfortunately, I've got to say, I've got really little faith in any of these guys winning a slam, which is terrible to say. This is I Donald, know He's your number one. Do you, do you think he's going to win a slam? <sighs> if not, give me your pro comparison. You know, I, I see him being able to make a semifinal, maybe, you know, a quarterfinal... Um, I, I see him being someone like a Burditch, you know, one of those guys who's up there, big ground strokes, not, you know, the best mover on tour, but not the best volleyer either. Yeah, not the best volleyer. I mean, he's going to be able to get past a lot of the guys because of how good he is off the ground. But, uh, you know, unless he's got the, the complete package with the volleys and, and maybe he can develop that. Um, but without that, I, I don't know if it's possible. <laughs> well, I think. Like Burditch, he would need tree trunk of legs. I think that would require a (laughs) lot of training. And if we've learned anything from his interviews, tennis comes first, even before the video games. So that's something we know he's committed to the sport. I have an interesting comparison for you. And I know we traded back and forth a little bit in our outline, but this is one I just came up with off the top of my head. David Ferrer, a, a guy who, yes, will always move better, than Donaldson, but a guy who was not the most comfortable volleyer until really this year and who is always swinging away, does not use the slice too often, is trying to play aggressively on the baseline, is willing to take balls on the rise, willing to redirect shots to try and dictate on the court. What do you think of that comparison? Best case. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's just, it's so different because of the way that Ferrer strokes the ball. It's It's got more spin not more spin but a little more uh loft underneath it he gives himself a little more time he's got more angles i think it's very different from the the donaldson you know stroke and and how he hits through the ball uh have a similar kind of wrist action on the forehand no i I do see what you're saying um but i I think it's hard to compare them just in in the velocity on their ball but in terms of their relentless style yeah i agree continuing to attack that's something he should aspire to right yep yeah refusing to hit the slice and uh, yeah, in that regard, I will agree with you. Okay, I have a funky one for you. Okay. Robin Soderling. 
A guy who makes a run, you know, a guy who can be extremely aggressive, huge forehand, guy who's just dictating at all times, going for it at all times. There's no slice in his game. He's going to try and rip the winner as opposed to playing a long point. What do you think? Could he make a run like a Robin Soder? Like maybe even on the clay where he has a little more time to set and hit the ball. Yeah. <laughs> wow, I haven't heard the Soderling name in a Dude, while. I, like the, I was a fan in, from like 04 to 09. I thought he was going to be big. He, I got mean, a little, he got really injured. Yeah, but he got up there in the top five, what? maybe. Was he top five? I think for a little bit. Because yeah. he made back-to-back French Open finals. Yeah, that's true. He was, he was, I, yeah, he was good. The I only thought... player to ever get under Nadal's skin. Seriously. <laughs> um... No, I don't think he'll ever really get to Soderling status, but uh, I do think he can he can break that top fifteen for sure. And you know what? Maybe he'll surprise me and really and really improve his game. So you said one five top fifteen. Yes. So would it shock you if he made a semifinal in a major? You know, yeah, I, I'd be surprised. Not you know, it wouldn't be the biggest surprise, but it, it would take a little bit of uh, luck, in, in my opinion. I'm really happy you said that, because that brings me to a new segment of this show, and one, Fligner, cue the new sound effect. Alex's trivia. So, Max Rothman, <laughs> you're under the scope. Oh boy. Since Andy Roddick won his 2003 U.S. Open, there have been eight semifinal appearances at majors. I'll give you a hint. These appearances were done by three American male players. Name those three, and again, this only covers men's singles. Name those three American men and try your best to name the tournament and the year. (laughs) Okay, so one more shameless plug. All of this research was found for the Belt Series on CrackedRackets.com. Please check that out. We spent a stupid amount of time as a Great Shot podcast team putting that together, and we would really appreciate it if you gave that a read. So please go check that out. Max Rothman, back to you. Okay, so first one, obviously, Sam Query this year at Wimbledon. Okay. That's that's an obvious How one. How much do you want me to tell you? Do you want me to tell no, no, you? Give me, give me a sec to So that's to Sam Query. This. He's one. He's one. The other obvious person is Andy Roddick. That's I two. Mean, but he, how many appearances did oh he have? God. If you can't guess I mean, all of them, that's fine. But just guess how many. And again, there were eight American appearances. Okay, well, the fact that you said that there's only three total Americans that make this up means it, it's... He must have had, like... Do the math. Five or six of... I mean, six of them. Literally, he must he have had, had six of them. He must have had six of them. So, again... So, okay, hold on. <laughs> and a bunch of these were finals appearances as well, so credit. Oh, to him. they were, they were. Okay. Yeah, but semifinals are better. So Excuse then, me. so there's got to be Wimbledon in there. Okay, how so, many times? <laughs> I mean, I know he's got two. He's got two Wimbledon finals, so at least two Wimbledon finals, and that must have been oh seven, oh five. Oh four, oh five. Oh four and oh five. Okay. And what are you forgetting? There's one more Wimbledon appearance. Oh nine. Oh nine. Well, yeah, no. So oh nine. Yeah. The, the crazy, crazy of match. So now you're at seven. And so that. Oh, sorry, you didn't guess the others. So okay. the other one. So there's a U.S. Open in there. There is not a U.S. Open. Oh, you're not, not, you're not counting his champion. Okay, okay. He did not make the okay. semifinals after winning there. That okay. is shocking to me. That is that is. It's a crazy stat. So then it's got. I mean, it's not French. So the rest of them have to be. <laughs> Aussie Open. Oh five, oh seven, oh nine, Aussie. Wow. Pretty good deductive reasoning. Name the third player and the eighth appearance. I have told you this before. This proves. Do you listen to me when we talk? 
I remember. So oh. here's my hint to you. We we uh, when back in the days when we were just a SoundCloud low life podcast before Dalton Thieneman discovered us and gave us a chance. I mistakenly said this player was Bobby Reynolds, and that is not who it is. And you can hear me make that mistake in our old podcast. Who was the player actually? You know this. You know this. My it's, hint is it's not Bobby Reynolds. But it, if I made the mistake for Bobby Reynolds, who does that sound like? It sucks because before before you made that comment, I was going to say like James Blake or someone no, like that. Him and Marty Fish only made quarterfinals. Which is still really good. Credit, don't look on the outline. No. <laughs> okay, for our listeners, he did look at the outline, but who is it? God, Robbie Ginefri. Robbie Ginefri, 05 US Open semifinal. Did you appearance. really bring that up? I did bring that up. And remember, I mistakenly said it was Bobby Reynolds. Oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> God, terrible. And memory. you called me out. You're like, no, it, you said before it was Robbie Ginefri. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Credit to How Robbie Ginefri, man. Um, but to get the topic back to Donaldson, I think, you know, he will crack the top 50 next year. I think he will be a top 20 player. His goal should be, in two years, be seated at the U.S. Open. That's something he aspires for. Do I think he's going to win a Grand Slam? No. Do I think he could make our ninth semifinal appearance? Absolutely. If he gets hot, given his level of play, given his relentless style, a two-week you know run to the semifinals, very possible. And hey, another, another hot take. I mean, you look at the top guys in the world right now in a couple years, they're not going to really be as dominant as they are right now. And, and maybe I'm going to be wrong about that and who knows, but he might have a little slot in there to, to make some moves. That's why I'm all about that next gen ATV finals. Man. That's why I'm all about <laughs> <laughs> Voice crack number two of the pod. Hey, great shot. <laughs> Good for your learning. I love <laughs> it. On that note, the shit talking has started. That means it's time for this week's changeover chat. Before we do that, we're going to get to one more fake advertisement, but we'll be right back with you, so stick around. And now, another fake advertisement from our new sponsor, Hotel Breakfasts. Hotel Breakfast. Do you get a hotel breakfast before your 8 a.m. matches? Mmm, I love fake eggs. Fake eggs make me poop right before <laughs> I go on court. There's nothing better than those mischievous sausages. <laughs> those sausages come out as complete holes. Are we sure this isn't another Subway ad? <laughs> Welcome back to... Hey, great shot. I actually kind of like that. Right? A little spice in case our audience ever goes international. Yeah, no, that was good. Yeah, and on that note, it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week. It's time for this week's Cue the Drum Roll. The Changeover Chat. Boop, boop. <laughs> uh, okay. Max Rothman never listens to our previous episodes, which I ask him to do as film study and as the future slot receiver for the Michigan Wolverines. Get ready for film study. <laughs> but these past two weeks, you've gone, the changeover chat. Oh, that's true. And I really liked it. So can we stay on brand and try that one more time? It's time for this week's changeover chat. The changeover chat. <laughs> Much better. So this week, we're going to do three separate things. We're going to do a rapid-fire segment. We're going to talk about the 2018 Australian Open Wild Card Challenge. And, of course, we're going to end with tennis myths. Let's do the rapid-fire real quick. Only two questions for you. The next-gen ATP Finals field is set. I'm going to read that field to you real quick. 
Rublev, Hatchnov, Shapovalov, Chorich, Donaldson, Chung, Medvedev, Italian wildcard. Who's your winner? Oh, it's tough. You know, of course, I want to be like, oh, I want Donaldson to win. It's the Donaldson podcast. It is the Donaldson podcast. <laughs> if I have to choose someone who I actually think will win, I think I'm going to do Shapovalov. Now, I know that's a hot take because he hasn't been playing great recently. I don't think it's a hot take at all. Okay, fair enough. Because In fact, if you read the articles on Cracked Rackets, you'll you, know one of our very own predicted Dennis Shapovalov to win it, but go Yes, I, I, I know. But, I, you know, he hasn't been playing great, but he just, he has... The, the best wins out of that group, and uh, I think he's just the most developed player, so I think it's Shapovalov. You know, in honor of the Donaldson podcast, I'm going to take him. I have belief. <laughs> I think the only person who can stop him is a hot Chorich. A hot Chorich is the best player there. I don't know if, you know, he beat Zverev in his one next-gen match that I saw. Clearly, he's up for this type of challenge. Allegedly, he's very full of himself. Maybe this is the event he thrives and reminds everyone why he was the premier junior. Maybe not. Okay, next question. Nadal ends the year number one. Congratulations to you, Rafa. Great season for you to do this at this age. Very impressive. Special. Hey, great shot to you. I'm going to ask you, did he have the best season of every male on the ATP Tour? I mean, the only player that I think you can justifiably compare their season, his season with is Fed. Um, you know, purely just based off the Grand Slams. I don't think I would have said... Nadal had the best season until the end of his season. The U.S. Open clinched it for you? I mean, the U.S. Open and just his game afterwards. I mean, he had some, I think he had, what, like a 13-match win streak afterwards. I I mean, he played unbelievably well after, and I I think that does cap it off for me as him having the best season. So I really wanted to save this question for tennis myths. I just think it's a great time (laughs) to ask this now. So, Nadal and Fed. What do you think of equating their rivalry to Manning and Brady? Wow. Well, my first thought is how many times have Manning and Brady gone up against each other? A lot, and I'm pretty sure Brady has an advantage. I will say the year Peyton won the Super Bowl, he beat Brady's Patriots. The other point I want to make, just in terms of their style, and I would have Federer as Brady and Nadal as Peyton. Peyton, the most... Okay. Brady is incredibly meticulous. Don't get me wrong. He, You read his new TB12 book or whatever. It's crazy. He talks about his workouts, his new flexibility regimen, yeah. all of that nonsense. Peyton Manning played the meticulous sort of style, the type of play calling at the line, the type of I'm going to impose my will on this opponent and play my style of game that Nadal does to all of his opponents. Brady, meanwhile... He's the greatest. He's a winner. He's five Super Bowl titles. He's the best of the best. He redefined the position. He's the GOAT, according to many people. Many people say the same thing about Fed. Who is Brady's biggest rival? Who's Fed's biggest rival? Manning slash Nadal. I don't really have a lot to say. Yeah, I, th- I think okay. I think you just kind of said it. Myth. I mean, I mean, yeah, tennis <laughs> myth. I don't even know if it's a myth. I who's, think you I think you just busted it. That's that's okay. It. Of the four, who's the most valuable component? Uncle Tony, Mirka, <laughs> Rob Gronkowski, or Marvin Harrison? <laughs> Who's your favorite sidekick? Uncle Tony. Now, now wow. the, reason, the reason I say this is because when... I'm sure a lot of people know this, but in case you didn't, Rafa is not a natural lefty. Rafa was born a righty. He is a righty. And when he was, I want to say, you know, 10 or 11 years old, Uncle Tony said... 
I'm sorry, you're going to be a lefty. That's and it's going to be the defining factor in your game. And it is. It, there is no other lefty on tour who can hit like he does. And that's why he's the best. I'll say this. Mirka must have made Fed cut the ponytail. <laughs> Thus, I'm forever in her debt. I, I'm, Thank I'm, you, Mirka. She, yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. I don't... Uh, you made a convincing point. You know what? <laughs> Screw it. I'll take Uncle Tony. Okay, moving on. 2018 Australian Open Wildcard Challenge. This is, again, a three-week-long event. Whoever, whatever American male player accumulates the most points in two out of the three events will win a main draw wildcard into the Australian Open. This week, we have 24 American men competing. Those names are Noah Rubin, Mitchell Kruger, Riley Opelka, Alex Rybakov, Ryan Shane, Kevin King, Dennis Novikov, Mackenzie McDonald, Ty Kwiatkowski, Jared Hiltzik, JC Aragoni, Marcos Giron, Alex Sarkeesian, Evan King, Austin Krejcik, Tennis I think I already said him. Nope. Tennis Sandgren, Tommy Paul, Chris Eubanks, Michael Moe, Stefan Kotsov, Dennis Kudla, Ernesto Escobedo, Bjorn Fertangelo, Tim Smichek, Max Ligner. You might need to edit out some of those names. My. Need a second, need a breath before, before you keep going. That was, that was a lot. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, last year's winner was Michael Moe, one of the next gen players we'll be talking about. Past winners have included college players, young players like Mo. My question to you, who's the favorite? Jeez. I know, I read a lot of names. That's a lot you of names. You might not have followed. <laughs> um, the highest ranked of them all is Tennis Sangren. I believe he'll get in on his own ranking. Okay. That being said, he could still earn the wild card just in case. You know, <laughs> I want to I wanna take... Keep in mind, all of these events are indoors. That's a huge difference. Uh, I really think I'm going to go with Escobedo. Yeah. Go, with, go with my guy. <laughs> Ernesto Escobedo beat Dominic Kokfer. First round of Charlottesville Challenger, three sets. So, interesting start to him. I don't think that's a bad prediction. I'm not, uh, I wanted to take Opelka. He won the Charlottesville Challenger last year. Unfortunately, he lost first round this year to Tennis Sandgren. Tommy Paul hurt his ankle. He just lost to Braden Schnur today. Hiltzik lost first round. Give me Kozlov. He won the oh, Las Vegas no. Challenger. I just think he has That's a versatility. Right. Both of us took our favorites. That's fine. <laughs> all right, I'm down with that. Okay, two more things before we go. Quick debate for you. This week's fake ads, all from restaurants we used to eat at during tennis tournaments. What's your favorite restaurant to eat at and why? Gotta go Panera. That's uh, my go-to. You know, I got a nice mix of salads and sandwiches, pastries. Also have great smoothies. Big smoothie guy. Yeah, it's good. Uh, they're quick, and I never feel too full after a Panera meal. So, no, I completely agree with you. Any of their paninis are good choices. I'd also go to Pop Belly just because it tastes better. Subway is second to last, only to Jimmy John's. I will oh never god, eat that's Jimmy John's. that's another debate we'll have another time. <laughs> There's no way Pop Belly is better than I Subway. I will say, after the end of a tournament, particularly if you win. Gotta go to Chipotle. Get yeah. that bowl, eat half of it before you go out that night, eat the second half when you're a little looser later. It's or just not be soft and eat the whole thing. Well, just so you know, that's Saturday night before regionals. <laughs> <laughs> I came back and ate the second half. Don't you worry about that. Just make sure that if you eat the Chipotle at near the tournament site, that your drive isn't too long. Otherwise, that, that toilet no might be calling you. <laughs> The corn is the tracking device. Just be aware <laughs> of that. <laughs> okay. With that said, it's time for our final segment. It's time for Tennis Myths. I started with one. I'll leave it to you now. Okay. All right. So I'm not really sure if this is a myth per se, but here's a question for you. Who has the more distinguished shoe line? 
Roger Federer or Rafa Nadal? <laughs> shoe line. Wow. I mean, I think they're the only two that have their own personalized shoes? shoe line. Oh, yeah. It's tough. I hate Nadal's everything. I do too. I'm so really sad. not a fan. I despise Babylon. You know that. I'm just so okay, off on the brand. He's got like Rams horns, right? That's the Rafa signal. Yeah. No, I'm all about the initials. Yeah, yeah give me the RF. <laughs> but also, the Fed shoes are just clean. I mean, I've I've never purchased a Nadal pair of shoes, Look, so he's always I'm biased. In, he's incredibly groomed. I just think... Yeah, I, I, there's no dispute. Roger Federer is the best. Okay, one last myth for you, and we'll end on this, because I know you'll have a heated response. North Cal is better than South Cal and produces more tennis talent. True or false? Because Mackenzie McDonald okay. is coming on strong. Okay. He's a North Caler, right? The fact that you're saying North Cal Oh, sorry, no South Cal, Cal versus SoCal. Jeez. <laughs> um, I'll forever defend SoCal, obviously, because I'm from there. But seriously, in... I was a huge rankings guy when I grew up and I was playing USTA. And I think every single year that I was playing in USTA and I would look at the national rankings, there were more SoCal guys than NorCal guys. And I think that's always been the case. I, I just think that's there's more competition in Southern California. Southern California, 100%. No, no debate. <laughs> For me, the debate is Semta versus Chicago. I'll ride with Semta till I die. Southwest Michigan, where are you at? Chicago's pretty good. One bonus one. L.A., a USC or a UCLA town? (laughs) You know, I have to say it's a UCLA town. And I am pretty unbiased because I I really don't ever root for either. I (laughs) I grew up in a completely East Coast household. So I, I'm going to say it's a UCLA town. I, I, I really think that it dominates the, the L.A. culture. Well, on that note, we'll end there. The Dodgers game is about to start. I, need, I know you need to go watch. Go Dodgers. Let's go Doyers. <laughs> Max Rothman, thank you as always for joining me. And thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking with you. And, and you're right. I do got to get going. These Dodgers are about to take on the ship. Here we go, baby. You ready to go to war? <laughs> for Alex Gruskin. Max Rothman, Max Fliegner, who has a heck of a job editing to do, we say to you, hey, great shot. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. A great shot production.